0: our visitors. We say welcome and hope you enjoy our services this morning. I've, I've received a lot of good feedback overall from all the uh, sermon series that have been going on in the different books of the Bible, and a lot of people have seem to have enjoyed that. So I finished up Galatians last month, and the very next book in the Bible is Ephesians. It wasn't quite that arbitrary of a decision to make to study Ephesians, but we're going to look at the a series in the book of Ephesians and Christianity in general in Ephesians. You know, a lot of Paul's letters that he wrote to the churches were to deal with specific problems or issues that they were facing. And Ephesians really isn't like that, at least not directly. I've got some thoughts on why Paul might have been writing to the church at Ephesus, and we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. But this is really just a general letter on Christianity that can sort of be divided into two sections Chapters 1 through 3 deal with salvation and the spiritual blessings that are given by God to those who are found in Christ's church. And the second section, which begins in chapter 4, is about the behavior and the way of life that results from Christian living as a response to those blessings and to the salvation found in Jesus Christ. So if you want to put it in terms of theory and application, that might be a good way to put it. Paul talks about the concepts and the ideas behind Christianity, what it means to be a Christian, and how that happens. And then he pivots in chapter 4 to talk about what our response should be to that, and what kind of people we should be, how we should live our lives. So we find Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in this passage today. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And we're reading from the ESV this morning if you want to follow along on the screens there. So these two verses are sort of the framework, if you will, of the book of Ephesians. God has blessed us with salvation. This is how he's done that. This is what it means for you. And then in chapter 4, this is how we respond to those blessings. This is how we respond to the gift of salvation. This is the kind of people We need to be living in his church. And so this morning, we're going to talk about blessings that we find in Jesus Christ. We're going to look about the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1 today. And Paul begins his letter by reminding the church at Ephesus about the spiritual blessings that they have in Jesus Christ. I mentioned there was no specific issue the church at Ephesus seemed to be having, but I want to think back a little bit about the history of the church in Ephesus that we read about in Scripture and maybe get an indication as to why Paul was writing this to them, and also a little bit of meaning and importance for us while we need to really consider these things as well. Paul spent several years in Ephesus working with them, and you can read a lot about what he did there in the book of Acts. And after he left and he came back, and he was on his way back to Jerusalem for the last time, and he wanted to stop at Ephesus, he wanted to talk to the elders there in and, and Ephesians chapter 20, you read a very emotional encounter that Paul has with the elders at Ephesus. And he gives them a lot of good advice, but he says right in the middle of all that, in verse number 29 of Acts 20, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone. With tears. Paul loved these men. He spent a lot of time in Ephesus. And as he's coming back through, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows things are ahead of him that are not going to be pleasant. Eventually he's arrested and sent to Rome and imprisoned there. But he doesn't think he's ever going to see these men again, and indeed probably didn't. Later on he writes the book of Ephesians to them. But what he says here is: listen, I know what things are like here. The Ephesus was a center of commerce. It was a big city in that time, um, what we call Asia Minor, or what's modern-day Turkey now. And it was a, a place of huge idolatry. The Temple of Diana or Artemis was there. You read a lot about that in the book of Acts and the trouble that was caused by Paul coming and preaching the gospel in that area. A lot of people lost their income due to that because of all the idols that were sold. And Paul says, I know what it's like here in Ephesus. I know the challenges you face, and I want you to know that there are wolves out there Fierce wolves that are going to come in among you and they're going to try to take you down. They're not going to spare the flock. Even own men from among you from the church are going to rise up and they're going to speak twisted things. And he said, I want you to be alert. I want you to watch. I want you to shepherd the flock of God. I want you to be on the lookout for false doctrine and false teachers. And I believe that the elders at Ephesus took that warning seriously. And later on in Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus wrote his letter to the church at Ephesus, gave his message, rather, to John to give to them, he had some things to say about that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus said, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but attested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. The elders at Ephesus took Paul's advice, and they watched out for false teachers, and they stood up for the name of Jesus. They did that. But then listen to what Jesus says. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you first had. They were doing all the right things, but not for the right reasons. They had forgotten their love of Jesus. That's where it all starts. And that's exactly where the book of Ephesians starts. And I just wonder in my mind if Paul knew they had this inclination there in Ephesus. that They had this weakness, if you want to call it that, that they were going to stand firm in the gospel and they were going to teach the truth and keep false doctrine out of their church. But then they forgot why they were doing it. I think it's a danger you and I face as well. So I want us to consider carefully the words of Paul this morning as he talks about the blessings that are found in Jesus Christ. This verse, Ephesians 1 and 3, is the thesis statement for our sermon this morning and also, I think, for the whole book of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's break this down just a little bit. First of all, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when he says blessed be God, he's not talking about we should bless God because he's blessed us. Number one, how are we going to bless God, even if that's what he wants us to do, even if he needs it, which he doesn't. He's talking about praise here. Praise be to God is what he's saying here. We should give God praise. Always remember where these blessings come from. Never forget Never leave that first love. Let's always remember what this is about. And we need to praise God for the blessings that he's given us in Jesus Christ. Number two, those blessings are found in Christ alone. Nathan asked me, what song do I need to sing? And I was like, well, I don't really have one in mind. But if you're going to sing one, I guess in Christ alone. He said, well, I was going to sing that one anyway. So okay, well, go ahead. <laughs> it, only in Christ are these blessings found. They're not found anywhere else. We can't receive the blessing of salvation, the blessings that are found by God only through Christ. That's the only place. And I know you can't read this. I can barely read it up here on the stage. But in these 12 verses, 11 times I have highlighted here. In Christ, in him, through Jesus Christ, in the beloved, in him, in Christ, in him, in him, in Christ, in him, in him. 11 times, almost once per verse, He's reminding us, this is only in Christ. You can't find it anywhere else. Number 3 there's spiritual blessings. We talked about Ephesus and what a center of commerce it was, and there was wealth to be had there. And I'm sure the Christians in Ephesus reaped many of the physical blessings that, that Jeffrey thanked God for this morning. We, and we understand physical blessings. We have homes, we have food, we have clothing, we have jobs. We have disposable income. Here in a few hours, I'm going to get on an airplane and and fly from Amarillo to Salt Lake City and be there the same evening. We understand physical blessings, but what he's saying here, this isn't about physical blessings. This isn't about just the general way in which God has blessed the whole world. This is about how specifically God has blessed his children and what he's done for us. Every single Christian, regardless of your status, can benefit and does benefit from the blessings we're going to discuss this morning. And Finally, heavenly places. Paul uses this phrase several times throughout the book of Ephesians, and I really don't think he means the same thing every time he says the word, or the word is translated heavenly places. Uh, The word places is actually not in the Greek, it's really, the translation is actually heavenlies, in the heavenlies. And I think he means different things at different times throughout the book of Ephesians. In the context of this, though, he's really, I think, in one way doubling down on this concept of spiritual blessings. He's talking about spiritual places, if you will, a lot of people think it's talking about the church. Um, as you read, there's a book called The Glorious Church. It's the college press uh, textbook, the old school one, on, this, on the book of Ephesians. And, and they, they believe the book of Ephesians is all about the church and specifically say this is talking about the church. The heavenly places is the church. Some say the spiritual realm. If somebody can tell me the difference between those two things, let me know because the church is the spiritual realm of God's people. So in any case, I think the way to say this would be he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the church, in spiritual places, however you want to say that. This is sort of the lens with which I want to view what we're going to talk about this morning. Keep these things in mind as we go through these next verses, that God has blessed us. We need to praise him for that. It's only in Christ. There are spiritual blessings, and they're found only in the church. So what are these blessings that we find in the book of Ephesians? Well, First of all, we are chosen and we're predestined in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I don't want us to be scared of the words predestined, the concept of before the foundation of the world and And uh, Brother Trevor really wanted me to hammer on the Calvinist doctrine today. I don't really have time to make this a Calvinist lesson. Those of you who are familiar with Calvinism know what I'm talking about. For those of you who aren't, Calvinism is a doctrine put forth by a man named John Calvin. Hundreds of years ago, I guess. I don't know the exact dates. But he had these ideas, and it's put forth in what they call the TULIP doctrine. That's an acronym. It stands for total depravity. Unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. Almost forgot it. Basically, what we're talking about are these concepts of predestination, how God unconditionally elects people. And he'll go through this audience and say, I want Chris to be saved, and I want Brooke to be saved, and I want Nancy to be saved, and I want you to be saved, and the rest of you are just out of luck. That's what unconditional election means. God chooses people, and he chose them before the foundation of the world to be saved, and everyone else he created has no chance whatsoever. It's a ridiculous doctrine. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it as we go through. And The reason being is because Calvinists like to camp out in the book of Ephesians. There's a lot in here that they like to pull out and take out of context and say this is what this means, but it doesn't mean that. In first, excuse me, Second Peter chapter three, he says, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." God doesn't want anyone to die, and why in the world would He create people with the full intent of knowing I'm not going to elect them? They're not going to have an opportunity. There's nothing they can do for salvation. He wants all to reach repentance. Revelation twenty-two, seventeen: 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears, the, hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This doesn't sound like unconditional election to me. This doesn't sound like limited atonement. We'll come back to that a little bit later. In other words, limiting God's grace. He says, if you want salvation, you come and get it. Anyone who wants it can get it. Now we're going to get off the Calvinist thing and talk about what this really is talking about. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Jesus was the one that was foreknown, but was made manifest in this last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God. That's how God chooses us. That's how we are predestined. We are predestined in Christ. He chose us in him. Now, think about what this means. Before even God said, let there be light, before the world was even formed, his plan was, I'm going to create this people. They're going to be my creation. And I'm going to put them in paradise. And I'm going to let them serve me. And I'm going to give them the choice. But knowing that we would choose to rebel against him, knowing that being people of free will, we would make the decision to not serve Him. And so knowing that, He made the choice and the decision. He predetermined. He elected Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going to give myself, I'm going to give my son the Word of God on the cross. And He's going to willingly shed His blood, willingly give His life so that those people can be returned to me. That was predetermined. Before even let there be light, God had... can we even wrap our minds around what that really means? God knew how this was all going to play out and had decided our plan of salvation, our plan of redemption before He even formed the world. What a blessing that is for you and I. Number two, we have grace and redemption in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace in which He has blessed us and the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass. Trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So, a few things I want to point out here. This glorious grace. I want to think about that for a few minutes. Again, in the beloved, that's Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, God said. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses. He lavished his grace upon us. Those are the things I want to think about. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. He talks about this glorious grace. He says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. So there's that idea, again, of lavishing. Uh, We're going to come back to that here in a second. Uh, Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know, I think we have a tendency to forget this sometimes, to not think about it in terms of why we're actually here and what has been done to cause our salvation. We obey the gospel and we begin following Jesus, and He begins changing our lives. And I think at some point we tend to maybe cross a line where we start to think, okay, now I deserve this. Now I'm a better person than other people in the world because I have this gift. And now, I, maybe we become a little bit self righteous. Maybe we start to think we deserve it. But Paul is reminding us here. He's reminding Titus, he's reminding the Ephesians. Don't forget that you are saved not because of anything you've done. You do not deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. No one deserves it. We're saved because God loved us and chose to save us in His grace, in His mercy. We're justified by His grace. Which he's poured out richly upon us. You ever think about the cost of redemption? He talked about redemption through his blood. What does it cost? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Listen, what does redemption cost? Well, you just read earlier in Revelation, the Spirit and the bride say, come if you're thirsty, take of the waters of life freely without cost. It doesn't cost anything. No, it doesn't cost me anything. It doesn't cost you anything, but it costs Jesus everything. He shed His blood on the cross. That was the cost of redemption. That was the price that was paid. And we need to remember that on a daily basis. My sins were paid for by the precious blood of Christ and though I partake of it freely it cost him everything and again he lavished that grace upon us Romans chapter 5 verse 20 through 21 now the law came and it increased the trespass but where sin increased grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord God's grace isn't just enough is what he's saying here Again, Calvinists like to say limited atonement. God's grace is only for those he elects. What Paul is saying here to the church at Rome is God's grace abounds so much more than the sin that is in the world. You know, when I I think about the prodigal son in this instance, when he woke up in the pig pen and realized what his life was and, and, and what he should have done in the first place, his his thoughts in his mind were i just want to go to my father's house and be a servant i just want to sweep the floors i just want to cook and clean whatever i need to do i just want a warm place to be i want a, a square meal to eat and i just want to be i just want to be safe and when i think about the state of my soul before coming to christ you really understand that concept in our wretched state our pitiful state of sin knowing there's nothing i can do and if i if i can just be a servant to god if i could just be in heaven god's grace is so much more than that he lavishes his grace upon us he gives it to us in abundance And now Paul turns around in the next chapter and says, well, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. No, the point is understand the lavishing that's been done for us in God's grace and to take that and live in a way that reflects and honors that. Number three, God's will has been made known in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him in heaven and things on earth. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage. And as we go through these verses this morning, there's some of you are probably thinking, well, why is he not talking about this or that? We're focusing specifically on the blessings found in Christ this morning. Maybe I'm even missing some of that. I don't know. Uh, But what I want to focus on here, the mystery of his will, Okay, the plan for the fullness of time. He's talking about his word, the Word of God. He's talking about the plan of salvation being revealed in Jesus Christ. And he expounds on this in Ephesians chapter 3 a little bit. Beginning in verse 3, he says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets, By the Spirit. As you think about the Word of God and what has been revealed to us and the blessing we have in Jesus Christ because of that, what he's saying here is, listen, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And he says it now here. It's been now revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. But he says the sons of men in other generations were not given that privilege. God's will has just now, fully been realized. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to send my spirit to you. I'm leaving, but I'm going to send my spirit. He'll teach you all things. He'll bring all things to remembrance. He'll give you all the things you need to go out and teach the people. That's what he's talking about here the full revelation. It's not a mystery in terms of, well, we're right in the middle of a mystery novel and we don't know who done it yet. We know who done it. It was Jesus. He did everything for us, He gave everything for us, and that's all been revealed fully. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. He said the people who made all the prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, those people didn't know fully what they were writing about. Now they searched carefully or diligently and they inquired and they looked at other writings and they... They prayed to God and they wanted to know what it all meant, but it wasn't revealed to them. In fact, verse 12 says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things which you have now been announced to you. That's the thing about this word that's been revealed to us that we take for granted so often. Even the the prophets, even the old writers of the Old Testament, they didn't really know everything that was going on with this. But they understood, and they selflessly did it anyway, they understood they weren't serving themselves. They were serving future generations. They were writing these things down. And now we can take the Bible and open it up and read all of it. It's all come to pass. We can read the prophecies. We can read the fulfillment. And we can read going forward. What is it supposed to mean to be a Christian? All of that is laid out for us. A great blessing that we have in Jesus Christ, and we just neglect it. Let it, let it collect dust on the coffee table. What an amazing blessing we have knowing that the Word of God, His plan of salvation has been revealed to us. We need to learn it and we need to share it with other people. Number four, we have an inheritance in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, According to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. We talked a little bit about divine adoption back in our Galatians series, and I want to just touch briefly this morning on this idea of inheritance in Christ. We haven't obtained excuse me, we have obtained an inheritance. In Romans chapter eight, Paul says this, verse 15, "You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry abba father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and as the children then heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him it's not just that the grace of god made us not enemies with god You know, in the the same book, Romans, he says we were the enemies of God. But remember, we talked about how grace abounds. And it's not just that that grace takes us to the point where we're not God's enemies anymore. Remember the prodigal son. I just want to be a servant in my father's house. But what did the father do? He lavished his grace upon him. He fell on his neck and kissed him. He put a robe on him. He put a ring on his finger. He killed the fatted calf. He feasted. This my son was lost and is now found. God doesn't just make us not His enemies. He lavishes His grace upon us and He makes us His children. We receive the adoption as sons. And remember, ladies, that's not excluding you. That's showing that everyone, man, woman, is now a legal heir of God. We are the children of God. We are fellow heirs with Christ. And we partake in His inheritance. And finally, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit in Christ. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. That inheritance we just talked about. He's saying, you haven't fully received that inheritance yet, by the way. Now, that's amazing to think about to me. All these blessings that we've talked about all rolled up into one, and we look at that and say, what more could we ask for? There's much more waiting for us in eternity. He said, but you, when you received the gospel, when you heard the word of truth and believed it and obeyed it, what happened? You received the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that's the guarantee of your inheritance. That's an earnest money, basically, is what he's saying there. The earnest of, yourself, of your inheritance. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not talking about anything miraculous here in terms of what we consider spiritual gifts and performing miracles. He's talking about the, the gift that every Christian receives. Earlier in Acts chapter 2, the apostles were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, that, the house of Cornelius, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues and perform miracles. What he's saying here is this. Every single Christian from this point forward who had ever been baptized into Christ has received the seal of the Holy Spirit. What is a seal? Well, back then, seals were used on documents. They would pour melted wax onto documents and stamp them with a signet ring or a stamp of some kind to show different types of things, to show authority, to show authenticity. And that's what the stamp or the seal of the Holy Spirit is upon us when we become a child of God. Romans eight sixteen we just read this verse a few minutes ago. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It bears witness. It shows authenticity, ownership, approval, security. It's the down payment of the blessings we receive in eternity. And it's God saying, that person's mine. They belong to me. And what an amazing blessing we have. And as we consider, again, I know you can't read this and you're not supposed to be able to. It's the first, verses 3 through 14. What I want to talk about is the work of God and all these blessings, and people said, that's what you've been talking about this whole time. I know, but I want you to think about it in terms of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God is one, all working together. What we find here in verses 3 through 6 is we find we talk about the sovereign plan of the Father, how he purposed before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would save us for our sins, and his eternal plan we read in verses 7 through 12 the redemptive work of Christ and his his work on the cross, the shedding of his blood that redeems us from our sins. Verses 13 and 14 we read about the seal of the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all working together to provide us these blessings in Jesus Christ. Can we begin to sort of wrap our heads around what God has done for us? I don't think we really can. We can't really fathom the lengths and the depths that he has gone to. Why did he do it? Why did he make these decisions and these choices before the world was even formed? I don't know that we can give a definitive answer to that, but I know that Paul gives us some of the purpose behind that. That we should be holy and blameless. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her, not your wife, the church, by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's why He did it. Not that we were holy and without blemish and deserved it, but that we weren't and didn't deserve it. And He wants to make us that way. (laughs) That we should be to the praise of His glory. Ephesians 1 and 6, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Ephesians 1 and 12, to the praise of His glory. Ephesians 14, to the praise of His glory. Always remember to praise God for the blessings He's given us. And be a people who are worthy of that praise who honor that blessing, honor those blessings that he's given us. And finally, all things gathered in Christ, Ephesians 1 and 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. There's a lot going on in this verse that we don't have time to talk about this morning, but know that God wants us to be united in Jesus Christ and to be as his children, no longer his enemy. We have been given unfathomable blessings in Jesus Christ. What kind of person does that make you want to be? What kind of life does that make you want to live? Don't you want to be part of that? Don't you want to take part in the blessings that God has given us? Don't you want to start fulfilling the purpose of that and living as a Christian should? If you're not in Jesus Christ this morning, if you've never been obedient to the gospel, what are you waiting for? What holds you back? What keeps you from taking the steps necessary to become a Christian? This morning, you can be buried with him in baptism, repenting of your sins, believing that he is the son of God, receiving the remission of sins that only comes through his blood, You can take that step today. Make the choice today to be buried with Him at baptism and receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. That stamp of approval that God says, this is my child. Become one of His children today and start reaping the blessings that we've talked about. For those of us that have already done that, let's remember each and every day the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Let that motivate us and encourage us to be the kind of people he wants us to be. If the church can help you this morning, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.